Welcome to the Voices in Union podcast with Reggie Jackson and Maria Hamilton. doing good how about yourself i'm better now that i'm at home <laughs> okay you know I'm, I'm gonna have to start Which calling is, you the, uh, short the, the the james brown of amazon you're the hardest working woman <laughs> at amazon apparently oh my god <laughs> it, it's a lot of us there yeah they got up for six days through the end wow. of the year wow wow well you know, it's uh, it, it's close to the end of the year. I think this is our last podcast for the year, and uh, man, a lot, lots to kind of reflect back on. I know uh, last week when we talked, you mentioned a little bit uh, about uh, you writing your memoirs. You know, t- tell me a little bit more about that. Well, um, I know with COVID, me and Angelique had been out of out of touch. Uh, Angelique Davis, she's a professor at Seattle U that I've been working with uh, since the Million Moms March in 2015. And she happened to come across some of my notes uh, that I left while I was in Seattle because I literally stayed at her nook on her property. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, have you wrote anything else? I said, well, I have all of these cassette. I have all of these cassette tapes where I've been, you know, trying to put bits and pieces on the cassette tape. And she was like, well, since COVID is here and we're, we're not going to the university and uh, she said, I decided to take some time off. So, do you want to get back to doing the book? And I was like, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. during the time in 2016, 2017 that I was in Seattle and going backwards and forth to Seattle, I literally did half of the book, which entailed um, from the beginning of Dontre's death up into. Um, my present journey to, mm-hmm. I want to say, 20, 2019. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that, uh, we were also doing it because she was doing a article. And the article is at the, um, it's being reviewed right now at the, um, Brooklyn School out in California. Okay. So I really didn't have to go into a lot of detail. Plus, she was on the majority of that journey with me uh, because mm-hmm. we're in contact every day at, or either with each other. We're flying backwards and forth. So mm-hmm. she kind of... Um, knew pretty much what I went through during that time where she didn't have to go back and um, review a lot of information like I did. I literally had to Google myself and go back Mm -hmm. and listen to some of the speeches and Mm -hmm. 
uh, see where I was, you know what I'm saying, doing right. stuff at the time because of the disassociation and stuff that I was going through. Mm-hmm. But I, I literally started the chapter of the book that goes back to me being created, my mom, my dad, um, mm-hmm. where they live, their brothers and sisters, um, what kind of foundation in their families they had, uh, mm-hmm. how my mother and father met, um, with him serving in the military, he was a Marine, and my mm. mother worked at the hospital. Mm. Uh, so that's how they met. And then once he decided to retire from the Marine, my grandmother had moved from Memphis, Tennessee to Gary, Indiana. Okay. okay. So once my father left service, he literally brought my mother and I think at that time she was pregnant because Damien, uh, my oldest one, no. Well, it's, it's two sets of us. My mother already had a set of kids. Mm-hmm. Then it was four of them and four of us. Uh, okay. So she was pregnant with my brother from my dad. And uh, my grandmother was, I, I remember her like I, I, I literally said, and somebody was actually speaking on or Zoom or something, where my grandmother asked me lived with us. Okay. Um, so we're roommates. And mm-hmm. um, that's why I ended up uh, getting a touch of the uh, racism and 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 a lot of the history about slavery because my grandmother and her family was actually on a tobacco farm mm-hmm. and my grandmother married the second youngest son of the plantation owner okay and uh that's how she ended up coming uh, to Indiana, what he said to her, he didn't come. He stayed in in Tennessee. So mm-hmm. Grandma was still doing the um, washing of clothing at the house and taking the clothing, and then a certain time of day going to prepare food. But since mm-hmm. both parents worked. If I was out of school, I had to go with her and wasn't allowed to go in the house. Mm, okay. Well. And um, she told me a lot, you know what I'm saying, that it wasn't anything wrong with me. It was the way the white people were raised and their beliefs. So don't allow it to affect me. So I would just sit out there and play. Until I got tired of playing, then I go sit <laughs> on the stoop. You know, <laughs> so for me it was fun. You know, cause yeah. I always had me a little, had me a little lunch or something. You know, right. The only thing um, was the bathroom situation, where mm-hmm. uh, thank God I ended up meeting some other kids and was able to go in their house. Other than that, I would had I would have 
had to go into the wooden shack, what they call the outhouse. Oh, I know all about the outhouse. We had an outhouse when I lived in Mississippi. Oh, my God, I had Yeah, I remember that. Oh, the, yeah. Like the garden snakes used to come up. As mm. soon as you open up the door, it was like, <laughs> to them. They just automatically knew to come up through the stall. So, oh, man. Well, I guess I was lucky. I never had any snake issues in the outhouse, but I remember the outhouse that we had uh, when we lived in Mississippi. North Carolina, too, down there at, at my grandmother's outhouse. So mm. um, I started with that, told that part of the story. Then uh, I went on to um, me and Nathaniel in school and living in the community and my high school years and modeling and my mom uh, working at the police department and in the mill mm-hmm. and my dad worked in the mill and then I left there and asked the because my mom passed when I was 18 year old so now mm-hmm. that I'm on this journey I know why she prepared me and took to uh clean the blinds with the toothbrush and wash them. You know how they used to have those square mirrors on a whole wall? Oh, yeah. Clean that and (laughs) and still fix dinner and stuff because my mom only cooked on Sundays. Oh, really? Wow. So I literally had to sit in there and watch her cook in my younger years and it was rewarding to me because now I can't stand frozen foods. Mm. If it ain't homemade, I don't too much care for it. And <laughs> I'm not a um I'm not a fast food eater. Okay. Okay. So old school. Old school. I, I think that helped, yes. Yeah. And I learned how to cook everything. Cause you know, down there we used to eat red beans and rice. And and grandma used to go out and wring the chicken's neck. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. We yeah. would it before we go to school, and we would have fresh food. And it was like, that gave us energy. So I literally started when I started raising my family. My sons never did eat cereal. Hmm. If they ate cereal, it was like after school, while they were, while they were waiting on dinner to get ready or something like that. I literally had to get up at four in the morning because Nate left at five. So I would fix his lunch, fix him whatever he wanted. And then at 6.30, got the boys up and fixed them whatever they wanted. Mm. And that was my routine every day while school was in to ask me to fix food. So it's like, oh, my God, they were really spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they got a, they got a name for for what you're talking about. That's country, right. y'all country folks. Right, you know, and my and... kids wouldn't. They they would never go and spend the night nowhere because they didn't get that meal. So right, it would be nine and ten o'clock, and they would be trying to come home or mm-hmm. have parents bring them home, or I had to go and get them because they wouldn't stand at your house if you wasn't cooking no meal. <laughs> That's what yeah. I I didn't even have to call them, set no alarm clock and done. As soon as I go to cook, here they come. Like, what you cooking? Wow. 
Yeah, we so far away from that now. It's kind of a nation. You know, it's very yeah. rare for people to cook like they used to. And, you know, we like the convenience of just ordering something, picking it up, fast food, all that other stuff. That's yeah. part of the reason we're so unhealthy as a country. But, you know, I think people are way busier than they used to be, way more responsibility than they used to have. And, and you know, we used to have extended family that was around to help us, you know, raise our kids and all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, so I lived in Mississippi. I literally mm -hmm. want to talk about my grandmother because, yeah. I mean, I spent more time during the, the week with mm -hmm. her then I actually did my parents and yeah. the yeah. the weekends when we literally well I, I take that back because in the evening times um we always sat down and had dinner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You had to finish your dinner or you went to bed hungry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That type of stuff. And that's yeah. how I brought Nate them up. If you don't want it, hey, you just gonna be hungry. Mm -hmm. Cause I had already fixed pig feet for your daddy and them. Then I fixed y'all something different, and, mm -hmm. and I make you even think about eating the pig feet. But <laughs> y'all can't come talking about y'all want some hamburger and french fries, dime fried pork chops, and mashed potatoes. And <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, mom. They they used to say that's that's Sunday food. <laughs> Why you cooking Sunday food through the week? <laughs> that ain't no Sunday food. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Food. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, we don't get to eat fresh food like we used to uh, as much. And then the food don't taste the same, no one. Yeah, you know, even like the fast food restaurants. You know, if, if Colonel Sanders was around... He'd shut down every KFC on the planet because I don't know what they've done with the chicken. It's like he left the, the masterful recipe, but hey, they don't use that recipe. Man, they don't use his recipe and they ain't using no chicken. That's the <laughs> raised up in the containers. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> real chickens. Running around on no farm. You know what was funny when you were mentioned earlier about ringing the chickens? We used mm -hmm. to have a neighbor when I lived in Mississippi, mm -hmm. this, this this older couple that lived next door to us. And, you know, anytime the, the wife wanted to cook chicken, she would send her husband out, you know, to ring the chicken's neck, right? Mm -hmm. And I can remember when I was a little boy, I was probably, I don't know, maybe six years old. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Uh, she was real mean to her husband. She used to yell at her husband all the time. But anyway, I remember I heard her yelling at her husband. And I went outside to investigate, being nosy as a little boy. And she was yelling at her husband because he couldn't wring the chicken's neck. She <laughs> snatched the chicken away from him. And she went and she opened the trunk of the car. And she literally slammed the trunk on the chicken's neck. And then cussed her husband out. And then went and, you know, did whatever she did and cooked the chicken later. And then I was like... Man, this is like insane. <laughs> I, I I don't think I wanted to eat chicken for like a week or two after that, after seeing what she did to that chicken, brutalized chicken. Because we had chickens too. And when I was a kid, I don't remember us. I, I'm sure we probably ate some of the chickens that we were raising. But I just remember right. a little boy playing with the chickens, you know, trying right. to chase the chickens. I don't remember eating them, but you know, I'm sure we did. But I, I can remember, you know, my great grandfather who lived right next door to us. 
was an avid fisherman and hunter and stuff and he used to go hunting and bring back stuff he used to go fishing and i would i would be one of the ones that would get to scale the fish and stuff and you know you know we picked the bees out of the yard and i mean it was just a lot of a lot of stuff that was just so interesting when we were kids we used to look look forward to going to the farm then i i even taught nate in them how i would take him out there and like no it costs too much to just get a bundle so we gonna pick our own <laughs> yeah, those are good old days, Maria. Back of butter beans, green beans, uh-huh. snapping peas, all that stuff. I used to love those snapping peas. I yeah. used to be the one that would snap them. Yeah, yeah some good memories from my childhood. These so kids I, nowadays, they I don't know what they're missing. I literally put that experience in there, and then <laughs> um, once they got in school, because I was a stay at home mom until Dontray went back to school mm-hmm. uh, all day long or uh, in first grade. And then I started working for the city attorney had a private practice. So I, I was a paralegal in his office. Okay. And then there was um, drugs, money, city government, real estate, and they wanted to come in and do my, confiscate my transcripts and stuff, because I used to do a transcript, too, Mm -hmm. uh, for the city, in the city court, just to make some extra money on side. But when they came up in my house, oh, it's a wrap. Mm-hmm. And it was martial law going on after the mayor was arrested. Um, the, a couple of judges was involved, some other city officials, and a um, couple of couple of judges shot themselves. Wow! And there were uh, drug dealers and stuff coming up dead, and on fire, and all that type of stuff. So they did martial law, and my sons all played in sports. So <laughs> during that time, they literally had to, uh, they had school buses to take them backwards and forth to the different suburbs for the games and everything. <laughs> and my kids never did ride a city bus until they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um I was really, really scared because kids was coming up missing and shot and all the fights and everything that was going on. And then you literally had to have an ID card if you were out after 6 p.m. And you had to be going to work, leaving school, or uh, in a car with your parents. If you would, they was taking people, kids, putting them in juvenile detention and folks didn't know where the kids was and all that old type of stuff. I was like, wow. um, y'all ain't going to be a part of this system. And then it was like so many of the kids, uh, of their friends and kids that they went to school with, it was so much going on. I was like, you know something, my kids ain't going to be no statistics. Mm-hmm. So, Maria, Maria, you 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 giving the whole book away. Ain't nobody gonna buy your book. You telling the whole story right now. 
<laughs> nah, it's a lot more. Yeah, it sounds very interesting, though. You know, it's always yeah, it's always fascinating to kind of look back on your life mm-hmm. and things that you haven't thought about uh, to put them on paper is just really interesting. You know, it, it's it's funny to me, um, kind of hearing some of the stuff you're talking about. You know, growing up down south myself, and you know, some of the same experiences. It's like you never really know people until right. you actually sit down and have a conversation with them. But right, yeah. I read. Oh, we used to get out of school like the Friday, with like June the fourth. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, my mom would give us one week and put us on the bus or a train or a plane <laughs> somewhere until the first part of August. I, I remember crying like, wow, what is going on? <laughs> like, no, you got to wait till your uncle and then come down. I'm like, no. <laughs> that used to be torture. Yeah, but I know. I uh... feel really, really good about it. Um, and I think I actually got all the way up until the part where me and Nate separated and I okay. came, to, came to Wisconsin. So that's literally where I stopped my uh, notations and dictations at. Oh, okay. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. A lot of grounds. So you, you can keep working on that in 2021 and, and try to finish it up. You got a kind of a timeline when well, you plan on finishing it? thinking maybe... Um, to get it to the editors in April. April, okay. Yep, and hopefully um, mid-summer, the end of the summer, I can literally start. uh, I should have it back on the publishers. It Mm. should be printed. Great, great. Congratulations. That's that's phenomenal. So, you know, this, this year, 2020, has been challenging for everybody uh, and you know the pandemic is still going strong stronger than it's ever been in many respects you yeah, know i, I was I having conversations with I folks was to die yesterday yeah Close to 7, That's yeah yeah you know I, I, I was talking to some folks over the last couple of weeks it's like every time i talk to somebody i haven't talked to with you know, since early in the year, somebody always has a story, somebody that's passed away in their family. And one of the things that I, I thought about quite a bit is, you know, the elders that we're losing, mm-hmm. you know, the elders from, from our communities that, you know, they're kind of like a, an encyclopedia of family history that's like gone. Once yeah. they're gone and, you know, all of the memories, uh, you know, I was at my mom's house earlier and we were watching some DVDs that I had made for our family reunions when we had family reunions, big family reunions back in 2006 and in 2007. And it was, you know, just watching the videos and seeing so many family members and how much fun we were having and stuff. Just kind of, it, it was it was kind of cool. But right. then, you know, you look and you're like, man, uh, he's gone now. Yep. She's gone. Right. Right. It's just really sad, you know, to, to see how many people we've lost this year and it's just been very difficult um and i i just wonder how we as a no no as families how do you recover when we've lost so much because it's it's like a, a generation of elders that have just dropped off the face of the earth like as if some aliens came and just kidnapped everybody over the age of 65 and just took them all away 
and that that institutional knowledge that they have that family knowledge that they have is gone with them right so and i've been challenging people to, to talk ironic. to the people before it's too late it's but it's really kind of ironic to me that they had their families and husbands stripped from them now mm-hmm. they're being taken from us yeah yeah it's it's, it's sad and really you know, I, I think that this year is going to go down as probably one of the saddest years in the history of the world. Yeah. Because I think people who haven't paid attention to really how many elders we've lost are really going to reflect back on this and say, man, look at all of these people, the grandmas and great-grandmas and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and stuff that we've lost. And it's really just going to be very difficult, particularly for young people, I think, who... You know, maybe they didn't have an opportunity to even get to know some of those older people in their family yet. But you and, know, those who were being nurtured mm-hmm. by their grandparents, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I I was watching something uh, that was on yesterday, and it was two brothers, and they literally lost both their parents, mm. same day, within hours. Wow. Of each other. Wow. And they were able, they were able to do the uh, Zoom stuff and FaceTiming and stuff with them, but they literally watched their mother and father they were sleeping in the same hospital bed, everything. So they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a plus. But they had grandkids. I think both brothers between them had like six or seven kids. And the kids hadn't been able to go to the hospital and see them. Mm-hmm. So outside of FaceTiming and everything with them, they hadn't had that personal contact with them mm-hmm. for six or seven months. Mm. Yeah. And just to sit there and like, okay, I'll never have an opportunity again. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tough part, you know, the the isolation that people have. And even in those last weeks, days of people's lives as they're sick with the coronavirus. You can't, you know, you can't go to the hospital and sit with them and hold their hand and all the things that we used to do. And even when it comes to the funerals and memorials and and whatnot we have for people, it's just not the same. You can't, you can't, you know, treat it the same way. And, you know, as as much as, as I miss my brother who passed on Martin Luther King Day this year, Mm. Uh, I can imagine how much more difficult it would have been had he passed during the pandemic and we couldn't have uh, a funeral home full of, right. full of folks there to help celebrate, you know, well, his home going. Funeral service, period. Because yeah. after you read somewhere, they still have all them hundreds of thousands of people that uh, that have died in in those uh what you call them them trailer things yeah yeah there's still a lot of a lot of bodies in trailers uh you know they 
somebody was telling me recently, this is maybe a few weeks ago, that you know they, they wanted their family member cremated, but the crematorium at whatever this funeral home broke down because they've been using it so much. It literally broke down. Right. I'm like, my goodness, that just shows you how crazy this year has been, how devastating this year has been. And on the wait list to have a funeral. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just, man, it's so sad when you think about it. But, you know, we got next year coming up. We got the holidays coming up. Hoping that people, you know, I know people aren't going to be as safe as they should be around Christmas because, you know, people are accustomed to being around family. I, I already told my family, listen, y'all not going to see me on Christmas. Yeah, I may call you, but you're not going to see me. Uh, my wife, you know, she's going to do what she normally does. And, you know, she's buying all these Christmas gifts for everybody and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to see me on Christmas. You know, um, I don't want to be responsible for giving the virus to somebody or getting the virus from somebody mm-hmm. simply to, you know, celebrate the traditions that we had. Listen, Christmas is going to come around every year. New Year's will come around every year. It's not like if we miss Christmas this year, we ain't going to ever, well, never know, nothing is ever promised. But it's not as if Christmas is going to get erased from the calendar or something if we don't celebrate it this year. Right. And with the way the virus is just devastating so many places, you know, I think it's time for us to kind of take the time to kind of find a different way to celebrate the holidays and appreciate the holidays for something but, but, other than just giving gifts, right? Right. I mean, it's great to get gifts and give gifts and all that other stuff, but maybe kind of focus our attention on the holidays and reflect back on what this year has been like, the struggles, the losses, you know, focus more of the attention on that. But, you know, as, as we move forward in the next year, Maria, I'm hoping we continue this this wonderful association of having these conversations. <laughs> talking like old friends and uh, right. it's been a lot of fun and you know, I appreciate the opportunity to just you know get some good laughs in with you every week and and it, it's been a lot of fun so I'm looking forward to us continuing this next year and uh, you know wish you and the family the best around the holidays and uh, you know I know you've been working hard but that's that's who you are you're a hard working woman I, I'm, I'm gonna start calling you Mrs. James Brown because <laughs> you every time I talk to you, you either on your way to work or you just getting off work. So uh, you, uh, you you getting it in, Maria. So uh hours in a day. <laughs> but you know, some, it it makes me I mean, it it gives me my independence back. It it makes me um literally not be able or have to think about this social justice work that I'm doing, the mm-hmm. sadness, the hurt, the yeah. uh, the people who have been um, struck with these different plagues, uh, the uh, and 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 the system. I mean, that's just like the uh, recordings uh, is out now of Mattioli. Uh, talking to uh, Joel Acevedo before he killed him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I saw that. It's like, oh my God, I mean, you all, what's, what's wrong with people? I think I'm going to start doing a podcast just 
just to uh, show people how to love themselves. You know what I'm saying? How, mm-hmm. how dissect negativities out of your life. Um, yeah. Because if we do that, it has to start with us. Uh, mm-hmm. 2021 has to be about self-care and people caring enough to love themselves so you'll be able to share and give love to one another. There's so many people out here that's not receiving love because they don't know what it looks like. Because they ain't got no self-love. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and praying for just uh, for people to humble themselves next year because mm-hmm. they are so blessed to be here in the land of the living if you live to get to 2021 and hey just be grateful yeah yeah that 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 sounds like a good place to end maria yes and um you know happy uh holidays happy uh and looking forward to what the new year brings for us so uh until next year I guess, you know, I can use that corny joke. See you next year, right? I guess it's that time of year. (laughs) Uh, So looking forward to it, Maria. You take care of yourself and say hi to the family, as always. All right. Talk to you soon, Reggie. Okay, Maria. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.